Get charged, my friends, because we have a truly informative and I guarantee fun podcast coming your way. Whether you want to understand the basics of electricity or more about renewable sources, battery storage, or the health of the grid, we are about to up our electricity IQ. I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, and this is Down to Earth Tucson. And I don't know about you, but my electricity IQ, I think, is quite low by most standards. I might know a little bit more than many, but it's not a very high IQ. What I know is that electricity is essential to my quality of life. I know that I always want it to work. And in terms of knowing, that's about it. I kind of know it all comes from TEP, so that's a plus. But I don't think I'm alone at all. I don't think people know about electricity. So with me to raise that IQ and yours along with mine is Neil Saunders, electrical engineer from Tucson Electric Power. So Neil, am I ever going to grill you? Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. I got a lot of questions, but before I jump in, I want to encourage everybody listening out there to read Neil's bio in the show notes because he's had his life has been what I would capture as one excellent adventure. He's been around the block. He's done solar in Africa. He built an Adobe house with his family, and it's a it's a very very thoroughly enjoying read. So I hope you take the time to read it on the show notes and on the page for the show. Um, but as they say, let's get on with the show because, Neil, you have to raise our electricity IQ in 30 minutes or less. So here is the most basic of questions. What is a kilowatt? <laughs> is it the same as a kilowatt hour? I throw those things out like I know them. Uh, that's a good question. Um well, first, thanks for having me on the show. That was a nice intro. I appreciate it. Um, and yes, a kilowatt is a measurement of electrical power. Okay. Now, a kilowatt hour is a measurement of electrical energy. So the difference in those is uh, there's a little analogy, and you can think of a weightlifter. Now, a weightlifter is like a, they're going to have a lot of power, right? A weightlifter strong. So a weightlifter can lift whatever it is, 400 pounds over his head or her head. and But how long can that weightlifter sustain that? So the power they have is their kilowatt, if you will go with analogy. And okay. how long they can stay holding that is their sort of time part of the power. It's the, the kilowatt hour. That's where the hour comes in because that weightlifter is holding it over time. So if you can think about it like that, uh, maybe that'll help. It does help. So does that mean when we say we have a, I know it means then when we say we have a power outage, but it really doesn't have anything to do with what energy might be available or did I make a leap that is incorrect? No, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, Well, a power outage means there's no power available. So you need power before you can actually sustain power. So if you don't have KW kilowatts, you can't sustain it for any length of time to build a KWH or a kilowatt hour. So power outage, nothing's going on. Got it. So I remember a friend of mine that was really instrumental in educating me about energy and renewables and all that in general is a man named Dan Hogan who worked for TEP for a very long time. He retired. I still haven't forgiven him, but he's not going to listen to the show, so it's okay. (laughs) And he explained to me in my probably a little bit righteous 
state of mind about everybody wants their electricity. When I come home and it's 110 degrees, I don't care if they're burning trees in the yard. I want to have my air conditioning. I probably do care if they're burning trees in the yard. But so I want that supply. And if I don't have it, I am not a very happy camper. So where does all of this supply and demand, how does that conversation work into the supplying of energy? Because it's a huge balancing act. We can't just flip a switch and say, oh, we're going solar. Right. So talk to us about supply and demand. Sure, okay. Uh, Yeah, it's a good place to start. Um, The electrical grid um, is a big balancing act, really. You have supply and you have demand. So somewhere somebody is burning something, typically, uh, oil, coal, natural gas, and that's moving a generator. That's the supply. It's creating electrons. And those are flowing across miles and wires to your home where you have a demand. You want to turn your light on. There's a demand. You want to turn your phone on or you plug in your phone or your, your TV goes on or you want to cook or your dryer or the washer or any number of different electrical appliances that need that power from your home to a big business. Like they're all going to need power. So and, and you know how it is when you're home. You, you turn on a light, you turn off a light. Uh, your oven goes on for a little bit, it goes off. That happens at every house and every premises around in any, on any grid all day long. So if they both, but supply and demand have to match each other at all times. You, you can't just give a bunch and it's just going to not go anywhere. It has to go somewhere. So the grid operators are always watching the demand and they're adjusting supply to match. So here's what I think about that. I think that's the basic of supply and demand. I get it. And when you say that, um, you know, a lot of times in this (laughs) many years that I've been doing this, and I interview people and I hear about jobs and things they're doing and all that, I think, I wonder if I would like that. Well, trust me when I say, (laughs) if I die and go to hell, if there is a hell, um, I would be a grid operator. I'm serious. Like the thought of it, I can't even. I can't even process the thought of it because of what responsibility it is to make sure. Because somebody's going to be mad if it doesn't work, um, to yeah. say the least. And it can yeah. be dangerous. And if it's hospitals, and if it's red lights and and emergency vehicles, I went down the rabbit hole thinking about what it would be like to be a grid watcher. That's what I call it. So let's talk a little bit about the sources of energy. Speaking of hot topics, right? So right. there's tell us there's fossil fuels and renewables. So go into that a little bit because I think I would pass that test I better as Mrs. Green of what there is. Of course, of course, yeah. And I had mentioned it already. Then in the supply side, um, there's a lot of um, legacy fuels that we've been using since since we started burning things and and coal being the sort of I think well I don't know maybe biomass would be the oldest fuel that we've we've uh, burned for right. for heat, right, to cook. And then eventually they figured out uh, steam engines and we started burning coal. There's nuclear, natural gas. God, what else? I think that's it. I mean, that's... That's sort of the fossil fuel mix, yeah. Right, that's the fossil fuel right. world. Right, so obviously everybody knows, and just to reiterate, those are exhaustible, right? There's only so many of yeah, them. Yeah, they're finite. It's, right. There's not an unlimited supply and they're not making themselves again. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, they could, 
but it would take a really long a time. A really long time. Really, really <laughs> long time. Because if you think about it, and and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, but what is a piece of coal but uh, stored solar energy? It was the energy put into a plant millions of years ago that got compressed and turned into this rock that's has all these great hydrocarbons in it that we can burn for fuel. But right, it's it, they're exhaustible within our sort of time frame that we we look at the world. Um, so then you got renewables, right? So renewables are these things that uh, they keep coming back or, or they renew, right? Uh, wood, trees. Generally, if we don't exhaust them all, they'll come back. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, hydroelectric is a renewable because it works on the hydro hydraulic cycle where you know water goes in the air condenses into cloud, falls as rain on the mountains, and flows downward. So we, we harvest that downward flow. Um, then you have, of course, the big one is, uh, or the big two, I guess, are wind and solar. Uh, wind is a product of changing pressures and changing heating from the earth spinning. And the sun comes up every day, so uh, that's pretty renewable. Um, so those are the, uh, those are the new, new players that we've seen right now that are starting to make an impact over the last 20, 20 years, I guess. I mean, right. some people would say longer, but like I'd say impact in the last 20 years. I'd say, I agree, totally. The whole landscape has changed. And it always occurs to me that I want to be strongly opinionated about things. And I'm proud of that. I'm not wishy-washy. I think that I you know, am open-minded enough sometimes. I think people might argue about that. But I try to be open-minded. But when it comes to this conversation, what I find myself doing like at dinner parties and stuff saying, there's no silver bullet. There is really no quick fix to being the provider of energy because we all want it. We don't want it to be too expensive. Many of us are concerned about the environment. So can you, from where you sit with the experience you have, what are the pros and cons of each of these sources? Like for me, I would say, well, you can't count a lot on wind here in good old Tucson, Arizona, but in the flats of New Mexico, the lot of flats, wind is fine. But it's not, right. it's not consistent. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. So what are some of the pros and cons? And, and we have time for you to walk through each one of them, like coal and natural gas, and then solar, wind, hydro. And then, of course, we are going to spend some time talking about storage because if sure. I want my electricity at 11 p.m. and there's no sun... What am I supposed to do then? Right. Okay. Well, well, you kind of lined it out there, um, and I think the words that one word you used there was consistent, um, and the other term is sort of reliable. Uh, so, so when we look at that, we want to look at let's take fossil fuels, coal, or natural gas. We can store those things. We can dig them up. Yep. We can put them in a put them in a yard, put them in a tank, and they can sit there until we need them. Yep. And because of that, because of that fact right there we can then use those in a we can burn those in a turbine and we can make power and that power can sustain day night winter right. fall summer spring right. all the way right because you can store it so that's the pro and the cons are certainly they're very dirty uh, a lot of environmental degradation just in uh, extracting those things out of the ground coal uh i don't know if it's the worst but it's pretty bad when you talk about mountaintop removal where they sort of just level a mountain and extract all the coal, right? Um, And then there's natural gas, uh, clearly a lot cleaner when you burn it. 
Yep. Um, but uh, the fracking industry uh, has a lot to answer for, I would say. I would because, agree. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I would totally agree as Mrs. Green. Well, I mean, then you know, like, some of the chemicals that they use to that they use to fracture this rock and then extract the the fluid is, you know, they don't even have to report this stuff to the Environmental Protection Agency. And then when they're done with it, they, they it's mixed with sand and they just pump it back into the ground. And there's nowhere for it to go. It's so disgusting. I was on a fracking mission about six years into this and I was, it, like it almost shut me down because it is really filthy and disgusting and it hurts. Right. It hurts right. so much. It hurts the earth. It hurts animals. It hurts people. It hurts plants. I mean, it is just a filthy operation, if you ask me. Right. And the rub in all that is that it actually helped this place cool. I know. Right? I hate that you even brought that up. <laughs> it's true. Like you just said, it's not like one of these real, there's no clear answer. There's no silver bullet. There's no, no. There's, there's more pragmatism that has to be involved, I think, rather than just idealism. Um, so that's a little philosophical, but but I guess we could just go back. It's so true, though. Yeah, yeah. So when I was sitting in my studio, probably over 10 years ago at least, maybe, I always, I always wish Dave, who's listening, could chime in here because he's been with me from the beginning. But I was interviewing Paul Bonavia, who was the head of TEP at the time. And solar was just starting to show up in Tucson. And he talked to me about the price of coal delivering it to your house versus the price of solar. And he said, Gina, we can't get from here to there with the flip of a switch. It's just not going to happen. And the price of solar panels and all that stuff. Well, just think about it. Ten years in the history of energy is not a very long time. And look at where we are now and the price points on solar. But there's still a rub of getting getting it enough, putting it up, you know, getting it to people's homes. And then I'm um, selling my house. There's a whole thing you have to fill out if you have solar. Right. They don't even make it easy if it's on your house. There's all kinds of hoops you have to jump through. So it's, I mean, I don't want to sound like a weak conservationist or some kind of wimp that's gone over to the dark side, but you have to, if you're a thinking human being, you have to think it through. Right. There's a lot of moving parts to this conversation. Right. And just to go back to the pros and cons, like, so solar and wind, they have this great pro about them. And that is that their the cost of fuel is free. Right. Right. And right. it's clean. Right. So you got this free, clean fuel, which is great. But the what doesn't work there is the intermittency. And you said it is the consistency. It's not consistent, right? The sun only shines during the day and sometimes not if there's clouds and the wind only blows at certain times. So how do you how do you crack that nut when you're trying to deliver a power system that was built on a fuel that you could store and you could burn whenever you wanted? Um, so it just, it complicates the matter. And, and, you know, to make, just to give a personal twist on it, like I joined, I got into solar 14, 15 years ago. I thought I was idealistic. I thought I was principled. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to, we were going to change the world. Right. We were going to change the world. We were riding our bikes to solar installations. We were dragging solar panels on bikes. <laughs> we thought we were. I know that. <laughs> I mean, te- technicians for sustainability is one of my, like, it is it is really, by any measure, just an 
unbelievable kick-ass company. I mean, it really is yeah. on so many levels. So yeah, they. I know. I saw you guys on your bikes, and I'm thinking, glad it's not me when it's 109. Hope that's <laughs> right. going to work out for you. Well, they still are really bad ass. Uh, they're great. Um, they are. So, but 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 what I learned, and, and I learned it really quick, actually, within the first few years, I was hate. Okay, one, I learned that. Yeah, well, this is. Uh, well, I'll tell you two things. Okay. I learned really quickly that we were putting up solar panels for, we were sort of green. It was sort of greenwashing it a bit where, you know, someone would put in a lot of solar, right? And for them, it felt good. They were going to, they were going to, they're cleaning up their, 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 their footprint. Their carbon footprint was getting cleaned up. And, and to me, that felt a little bit uh, the wrong path. Got it. To the, I kind of thought, hey, you know, maybe instead of spending all the money on the solar, you might, you might do some other efficiency things to your house. Right. So that you don't use any power. Uh, use less, right? Use less power. And then maybe do a smaller solar system. You know, so there's these behavioral and maybe uh, structural things that you could do before you went to this other form of power. And, you know, that doesn't really get people. I guess, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a very, it feels like a very wimpy offer. Right. I mean, it really does. So that is a great question though. When it comes to solar, who decides how much you need? Because I think things have evolved beyond anything I can almost imagine in the past 15 years since I started this. Who decides how much you need on a house? Like for a 2000 square right. foot house, for example, who's, who's in charge of that conversation? <laughs> Sure, sure. And that was always the question, right? Someone would find out you're in solar and ask you, well, I got this house, uh, 2,000 square feet, what, what do I need? And and it just goes back to what I said, it, it's all about behavior. It's behavior, it's the appliances you have, it's uh, how well your house is built, you know, in, in terms of uh, if you have an AC unit and it's a really leaky house, that thing's going to run all day long just to cool it off. Whereas if you have a really tight construction house, that AC will be more efficient. So, there's just this conversation that is a lot deeper that generally people, I don't think they engage in as much, you know, you know, our our CEO said once in a, in a call, she said, um, she said something to the effect of sophisticated customers in our, in our, in our territory. And electricity is an odd commodity. You kind of just expect it, right? Yeah. You You don't really think about it too much. Right. Really and truly, it doesn't come up at dinner conversations unless you're at dinner with me. <laughs> well, I don't really, I mean, I look at my bill at the end. Right. But I'm not following it, uh, you know, on a daily, like, see what, oh, what can I do tomorrow that's better? <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I made a general push to, like, make my house efficient and do all these things, but I'm not, like, I'm not watching it every moment. So, and I'm into this stuff, like, this so I, I guess it just, we take it for granted. We do. It, it is yeah. absolutely one thing we take for granted. And I, to your point, I have a little story about um, we have sold our house. And before we even made the decision to sell the house, we really needed to put some new windows in. Hmm. And we had three windows that were Southern exposure, which in Tucson, Arizona is really not good. So we got new windows 
I cannot believe the difference in the rooms mm-hmm. where we got in the windows. And, and it, it's, right. a, it's a whole new world from when our house was built. It was shocking. And I said mm-hmm. to my husband, when we decided to sell, I said, why didn't we do this like 10 years ago? But they were, you know, the people we used Home Depot, and they were talking about, they showed us the temperature difference on the window versus in the room. I mean, it was mind-blowing. So that's, that's a consumer issue. And right. I want to know from all you, you have a pretty diverse background in terms of the energy side of things and electricity. Do you think that there are more sophisticated consumers and consumers are demanding more because they're more engaged or educated? What's your sense of what kind of consumers do we have out there? Yeah, well, I don't know the answer to that, honestly. Um, I think that uh, we're kind of on a, we're on, well, here's a, here's a story. How about I do that? I'll take you to Africa for a minute. I, I worked there for a brief time within my stint at TFS. I worked for an F, this company that sold solar in Africa. Right. And going to Africa, is a, it's very different there, as you might imagine. Um, you know, in, in the, the capital city of Zimbabwe, um, uh, Harare, most customers... If you have money, if you're well off and you live in a good part of town, you might have six hours of power a day. What? That's it. Ew. So you, you, <laughs> when you're staying at a place, you'll notice at night, yeah, if you don't have a generator, you'll notice at night everything, the whole neighborhood's dark. Um, even, the, <sighs> even the airport when you fly in is sort of dark. So, so that's the people with money. So you, you think about the millions of people out there that aren't well off or, or in a certain class, of, which are the majority. They have very specific needs for power. Very specific, and there's a hierarchy. As soon as they get power, if they find a, you know if they they find a plug somewhere that they can use, or or their neighbor has a solar system with a battery, like they have very specific needs. Lights, that's top. Oh. After lights, you're looking at uh, probably a two way tie between uh, refrigeration for food and uh, cell phone charging. Because there, if you have a cell phone, you can essentially have a business. Um, and then after that, you know, there's other needs. But, but with that kind of hierarchy of needs from the electric, from electricity, if you could just paste that onto the average American, right, and say, okay, <laughs> yeah, how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm going to give you lights today. Is that going to work for oh, you? Oh my gosh, what right? a different world. So, to sophisticated customer. I think that, I think we have, it's a heavy, we're going to have to get there. We better. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to really start thinking about this, and we should have started twenty years ago. And you know, it, it reminds me of another story because I mean, you and I committed to having fun and just telling stories for the show, and I'm, I think we're doing a darn good job. But I remember I've been in Rotary forever, and we got a request from from some small village in Africa, and what they wanted money for was for solar to be able to, enough to store for women in childbirth and mm-hmm. so that there could be lights for when the doctor delivered the babies. And as a woman, I was like, oh, dear God. Right. Th- thank God I live in America. Right. Because that is not me. Just to think of the things that we don't ever even give a thought to. Right. Because it's just a flip of the switch. Right. And um, it's an unbelievable conversation. But so yeah. that let's morph to that, like, like move on to... One of my favorite conversations 
two in, in this realm are the storage conversation, because to me, I see that as the biggest obstacle to everything when it comes to solar and wind and all that. Are we making headway? That's my first question. And then my second question is, um, where will... I forgot my second question. Ask the first <laughs> Because <laughs> it'll it'll come back to me. Okay, because I, okay. it's basically about residential storage. Can you see us having battery packs in our house someday? Sure. I mean, people are doing it. Um, it it's 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 price. It, it's 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 expensive. Cost prohibitive for the masses. Thank you. It's cost prohibitive. <laughs> um, and you want to believe that just like solar price declines, you're going to get the same price declines with lithium, right? So right. So solar, like when I started, uh, you were paying three fifty a watt, maybe. Now it's you can get them for you can get it for uh, maybe a dollar, less than a dollar a watt. So huge price declines in the last fifteen years. Lithium is doing that same kind of decline curve, but we're still not to the point. Like I can't afford a battery. I could if I wanted to, I suppose. Like let's not claim that I'm sort of poor at all, or 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 I just don't do it because. I'm just not there yet, you know? But yeah, I think it's possible. I don't think it, I personally, in the next 10 years, don't think it will be as widespread. Right, got it. That's a great answer. I would think that it would be better served, we would be better served if we could do a few things. One would be um, <laughs> conservation, or or at least load shifting, meaning moving your load from the, peak time of the day, the afternoons, to the middle or to the evenings, to the late evenings, in conjunction with maybe some bigger battery storage on the grid that can maybe soak up some of that extra solar during the day Got it. and then deliver it right. so that everybody kind of can benefit from um, you know, the economies of scale of having a bigger battery. Yeah, got it. And that's not to put down people that are doing it. You know, if they're doing it and they're helping us out, they're helping the grid out, they're helping everybody out, um, then that's great. And what I mean by helping is meaning they put the battery in, they charge it during the day with their solar, and then in the peak of the afternoon, they discharge their battery. Got it. So the battery is not just sitting there waiting for the power to go out, which, okay, this is not Zimbabwe. No. This is the United States. How many times have you had a power outage at your house? I'll ask you. Yeah, not very many, right. to be honest. And everybody goes into panic mode it's like, oh my God, the power is out. There's a power outage. My phone guard starts beeping. And probably the longest it's ever been in my life living here 50 years is about an hour. I know there right. have been longer ones in certain neighborhoods, but I do not go to bed scared that my power is going to go out right. ever. Right. I don't ever even think about it. Right. So, so if you've got this battery resource that you're sitting on just waiting for that hour, it's not really a great use of the resource. Rather, why don't you help us all out, discharge it, during those, you know, high peak times. And, you know, you, that probably helps you if you're on a, a special rate. They have rates. TP has a rate that, that would benefit you to do that. And um, and then you help the grid out too. So Yeah, yeah. And I am the living co of, uh, evolution of the electricity conversation. I was talking to Francisco Castro yesterday from yep. Energy Efficiency at TEP. And I asked him, I said, you know, I write blogs for TEP about all different kinds of things. And I love it. I love delving in. And he said, I think the thing I would like you to write about, because it's so not really understood, is time of use. Mm. So here I am, Mrs. Green, partner with TP, 
I am not on time of use, but guess what? I'm going to be. Yeah. I started reading about it and it's like, Gina, what the heck is wrong with you? What what took you this long right. to get to time of use? Because that is a conscious thing you can do. And one of my best friends, she's been on it and she said it's it's not hard at all. It's just shifting a couple of pa- of patterns and, you know, doing the wash a little bit later and yeah. It's a whole thing that I'm really eager to write about and learn about. So, well, there's a step towards sophisticated customer right there. I'm going to be a sophisticated customer. I'm so excited. <laughs> and you will be supplied with a, a certificate. You're right. But you're right. And I'm going to start talking to my friends about it and saying, we have to do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So, that's a good thing. So, shift for a bit. What does it mean when you talk about, like, I've heard this thrown out there, grid health. What does grid health mean? How can you frame it so that I understand what is grid health? Is there such a thing? <laughs> well, is it is it too simplistic to say somebody has to watch it to make sure that if this is being demanded, that this can be the supplier and watching? Because you have to even change sources, right? <laughs> But let's do it this way. I got an idea. Let's talk about um, solar on the grid and grid health. Right. So when you get a lot of solar, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of penetration of rooftop solar, say, even, even grid solar, even utility-scale solar. Um, you can have some issues on the grid because the inverter that you have at the house that takes the power from the solar panels and puts it into your house or puts it into the grid um, – it has its own, it acts in its own way. And sometimes that is contrary to the way the grid wants to work. So you can get problems in parts of town. Um, you can get your lights to flicker or, and it's, it's a voltage thing. That, that this inverter, all this solar resources out there are doing their own thing on the grid without control from the people that are running those big machines that we talked about that are supplying all the Got it. power. Got it. Now you have all this these little power stations all over town doing their own thing based on their own little electronic signals. And that can cause some problems, and it is a challenge. And, and honestly, just to go back a little bit, I was a believer. I, I thought we were changing the world when I started. <laughs> and, and I learned right away, one, that, you know, Maybe we, we were going about it a little bit wrong. We should conserve first. But the other thing I learned, and this didn't happen until later on, was that the challenges that it poses for the grid to put these resources out there. Massive. And integrate them in. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and here's, a, here's a great one for you. Think about um, uh, you have all this solar power out there, right? And it's power in the grid. Everybody's... Uh, it, it's either happen at your house, you're either powering something at your house or you're powering your neighbor's house, right? You feel good about it, everybody's happy. And then this big cloud rolls over the city. And, it, and it's so big and dark that all those inverters that are out there shut down. So all that solar power that you had out there on the grid goes offline. And that happens. It happens. Or it or drops so low that That the, happens over and over and over. Yeah. Right. And then the grid operator's like, oh, geez, I just lost you know, two megawatts of oh supply. God. Oh, God. But the load didn't drop. The load's still there. So yeah. so the grid operator's got to go find that load. That That's a challenge. That right? is mind-boggling. And again, I do not want that job. But it's okay. Nobody's <laughs> asking me to apply. But when it comes to all of this in this conversation... What do you see? Because you, you really do have a diverse background. 
Do you think that, I, I know the answer is not in my lifetime because I'm 71. I know the answer to this. But can we dream of a world that we will have 100% renewables? Is that even possible? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, Not to stump the guest or anything. No. Yeah, I can't answer that with any degree of certainty, but I, yeah. I, I yeah. really want to try. I don't and think there is an answer. I think you're very honest. I think yeah. that they've talked, you know, people speak about like the 80-20, like we'll get to 80%, but it's that last 20 that we're going to have a hard time yep. fixing. Yep, yep, especially in industries and stuff like that. It's really not an easy conversation or simple. I want It's easy to me to have it, but not simple. Right. And then there's the whole conversation, which I know we're going way over time, and I knew this oh. was going to happen just from talking to you before, but <laughs> it's my show, so if you don't like it, you don't have to listen. I don't want to have that attitude, but I mean, I really, this is it, very interesting to me. So I am going to wait and see because I'm all involved in this um, challenge, the the take charge of the challenge. There's a, It's going to be about the electric vehicles because everybody I get to talk to a TP, I say, how are we going to get there? Hmm. If we're transitioning as an automobile industry to electric vehicles, how are we going to get the infrastructure? And, right. you know, something, I, I don't know if you know this, but they started work this morning on EV charging stations down at Hotel Congress, their lot, their Maynard's lot, yep. with TFS. Yep. And I got there at 7 o'clock for a breakfast meeting, and they were already out there digging the trenches because the approval came through yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I went up to this guy and said, hi, you know, I'm Gina Murphy, darling, Mrs. Green. And he said, yeah, I know. I listened to KXCI. <laughs> 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 and I started laughing. I mean, he was really nice, but he was working. They were there at making it happen. Yeah. So here's my last question. Do you think we will be able to keep up with the electric vehicle infra infrastructure? Do you think it's going to happen faster than I think it's possible? You mean for EVs? For, for EVs, EVs, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a good problem to have it for is. us. I as agree. As a utility who's, you know, we're... Loads because of energy efficiencies, you know. Yeah. The 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 loads have been stagnating. You know, the, so it's it's um, it's great that the utility has the opportunity to um, do two things: one, work on that problem and make sure that stuff gets gets out there for for that transition. Because transportation, we know, is somewhere near twenty four percent of greenhouse gas emissions. Yep. Yep. And. And one, by getting it out there, we're helping that. But if we also, with our 2020 IRP, if that plan comes to fruition and we, we end up by 2035 with 70% renewables powering the customers, then we've also taken the load of those cars, that, that, that carbon footprint of transportation, we put it on the shoulders of the electric utility and the electric services and then greened it, you know, and then cleaned it up. So, like I said, it's a great problem to have, and I think I think uh, I'm working on some of that now. So I love it. I it's love a good, it. it's a good I, thing to be doing. Yeah, I have hope. Um, Chapman is another one of my partners, and as part of that partnership, they have given me a different car each year to drive and write about and do Facebook about and videos hmm. and all the stuff. As as a as a true consumer, I am the woman on the street, right? And I'm driving an electric vehicle now, all electric. And it does have its challenges, mostly only 
only for long distances. Right. I'm, I'm still scared of running out of juice. Right. But do you know what it's like to never have to go to a gas station? Just <laughs> no. plug my car in at night and I wake up and, oh, guess what? Right. And it's, we didn't have any special um, kit put in for charging. We just use the one that plugs into the right. our, our electricity. And it is so awesome. I don't ever want to not have an electric vehicle because... I hate going to get gas. <laughs> right. That's one reason. And the impact on the environment. So I have been really blessed. So I want to see this happen. And I'm excited to um, be a part of this partnership with Local First and Chapman and Hotel Congress. It's like teamwork making the dream work, but we got to have them everywhere. Right. So anyway. Right. Well, hopefully you're on a TOU rate, right? And you're charging overnight. Yeah. Right? Yes. Great. Good. Oh, that's right. Make sure you charge at night. We don't want to charge them peak. That's great to tell me that too. I just plug it in at night. Yep. And you know, most of us only drive around town. I didn't drive my car, I think, for like a year and a half with COVID. Right. Very rarely did that car come out. But anyway, now that I'm back driving again, it's just such a it's such a gift. So yeah. we really have to end this. We do. We just okay. have to say, okay. oh my God, Neil, what a great guest. <laughs> Keep on doing what you're doing. And thanks for being so, I would say, radically transparent about... This is not an easy conversation. There's no silver bullet. There's no quick fix. And and to me, a big takeaway for for me as the consumer side is my I love my listeners. I love every time I hear from them. I love every comment they put on any of our social media. We are sophisticated consumers and sp- spread the word. We need more sophisticated consumers because the first R is reduce. Yeah. So if we're reducing our use, that helps solves a myriad of problems. We don't have to worry about that poor guy that's in charge of grid health. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> guy or get, woman. I don't know if it's a man or woman, but right. it is a tough job. So yeah. thank you for your wonderful insights and for what you're doing. And I want to remind everybody to what I invited you in the beginning. Read about all about Neil in the bio because he's got quite a life and um it's on my list to go to Africa. I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but it's it's the whole. I'm not sure where. I've interviewed guests from, like I call it the down low safaris, where you're <laughs> you're carrying your own luggage. Oh wow! And um, so I'm I'm excited. I think it's going to happen someday. It's so. beautiful. You'll like it. Oh my god! I know I will. So thank you. Thank you. And I, I'm getting this habit. I got to watch out because I don't want Dave to get a big head. But my my sound engineer is pretty kick ass too. <laughs> and I thank you for him. He he cleans up all my mistakes. Oh good. Hopefully mine too. Oh, you know, thanks, Neil. And I hope our paths cross out there someday. Mm-hmm.